0: Is the cat cooperating here?
1: So far, so good. She's going to okay. get kicked out if she's being Yeah, I she's guess Citri's going to get kicked out so. eventually. Well, hopefully she just sleeps through all of this because yeah. now she knows Hello, welcome we to
0: Citri's podcast, the podcast where we celebrate Alex's cat, Citri, a small black cat who enjoys tearing things to pieces and sitting by the television.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's no longer double A with Adam and Alex. It's it now a triple C or triple S. Ooh, tr- triple, you, no, it'd be triple S. Or, less, or S plus, S plus. Ooh, S plus, S plus plus. Like yeah. N,
0: like the number of times they rebooted that game ends like N, N plus, N plus plus, N plus yeah. plus 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 plus. Oh, wait, how many times plus? did they? Do I don't, I don't that? remember. <laughs> it was a couple times. Um,
1: how how many times is too much? I don't know. Yeah, um, no, it's a lot. But yeah, we we are here. Um, one only one week separated. I think from Small Press Expo. Yeah. Um, which it feels longer. But that probably says a lot about how massive of an event Small Press Expo well SPX can be. Well, it's, been, it's
0: be. been a long time since the last Small Press Expo. Like if it already feels like a long time between Small Press Expo and now, how, imagine how much longer it felt between the last Small Press Expo and this Small Press Expo.
1: You know, the time dilation of that particular uh, feeling yeah. is it has been messing with me. So for, for a quick bit of context, uh, Small Press Expo or SPX, as we'll be referencing to it uh, from now on, uh, is an event that takes place in. Um, would it be fair to say Bethesda, Maryland?
0: Yeah, kind of Bethesda, Maryland. It's over. Yeah. You get off the White Flint Metro stop, and it's at the Marriott, it's, uh, right? It's now North Bethesda Metro stop. Right. They renamed it. Right. So you get off, and there's the Marriott Hotel, I and mean, in one of the ballrooms, I think they've been holding it there for the past several years. My understanding was it held in somewhere else earlier. Yeah, it used to be in downtown
1: Bethesda, apparently. Yeah.
0: Oh, interesting. So it's really originated in, uh,
1: what? would actually be considered Bethesda. The area it's been in, you know, forever now is a little contentious. Some locals, locals, I see it as though I don't live a metro stop away. Uh, but some of my Maryland friends who are more, um, have been here longer, have, you know, said that, well, it's really Rockville. Uh, Rockville is, is a city in Maryland that's a little bit further north of where it, it's actually it located. It kind of feels but- like,
0: um, I feel like it's a common joke in D.C., people laugh about the weather and they'll say oh well dc is a swamp so the weather totally makes sense but i have a friend uh, helen who has uh, her own podcast actually which mm-hmm. i think is manga in your ears or i think she has a couple of different oh, podcasts awesome. going on. i'll give that a try but um she anytime i say to her face DC is a swamp she says no it's a tributary they're not the same thing it yeah. kind of feels like if we're debating between like North Bethesda and Lake yeah, Flint, it's is like a similar like kind of thing. It's like, but is Al- it humid? Does does the weather suck a lot of the the summer? Yeah. Yes, it's a swamp. No, it's I'm sorry. but Alex, why <laughs> do we why do we care? <laughs> why why would anyone? You know, we're talking about Bethesda and Small Press Expo, but why talk about Small Press Expo when we could talk about, I don't know, like uh, New York City Comic Con That's or Otakon or like what? Why this place specifically? Why indeed?
1: Um, well, one because we both attended why
2: the show.
1: No in way! In person for the first time since Incredible. 2019, uh, which is really kind of amazing because uh, there. I don't know if you guys have heard. There's been like a pandemic and stuff, and yeah, a lot of have people have died.
0: Well, is it the first? Um, pen- is it the first convention you've been to since COVID? Um. So in in fact, it has not been
1: the okay. first. The first real one I've been to. Um. Was was TCAP, the Toronto Comics and Arts right. Festival, which is basically the just Canadian SPX. <laughs>
0: Where uh, Junji Ito was at a while ago, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, where are they? Uh, I, I feel like Alex and um, my friend Jade, I think they've been to TCAF a number of times. Anytime they come back, like, oh man, I got to go to the Beguiling this time, the famous so, comic shop. So good. I got to buy a copy of Sukaden 2 from a used game store, and I'm like, screw you and your Sukaden 2. I,
1: I, I got Dragon Quest Monsters Joker this time around. Good for so. you. It's awesome. And awesome I, mean, I stuff. actually I actually <laughs> own Dragon Quest Joker. But, um. You know. We should totally do that sometime.
0: TCAP is a great show. I've never been to Canada before, but I, I got my passport now. So
1: hey, that's you do possible. have to make sure you but, have. But so
0: sorry, the whole de- the, the delayed lead here is that um, Alex and I both live within the Maryland area, kind of like the DC Maryland Virginia triangle circle yeah, whatever. Yeah. And so Small Press Expo, I mean for Alex, I know it's probably been your kind of hangout zone mm-hmm. for the past several years. For me, it's more something I fell into coming to work in the area Mm -hmm. and then sort of finding my way there. But Alex, I'm kind of curious what your personal experience with Small Press Expo is since we've now sort of put um, both our cards on the table. Like you're someone who's been going there for several years. And, you know, I've observed not only has plenty of memories Mm -hmm. of sort of past conventions, but also knows several people who presumably go there every year, or at least did until a pandemic sort of messed everything up. Um, I mean, I've attended small press expo in more
1: capacities than I think a lot of people can claim. I've attended small press expo as press. Right. Uh, In fact, that is how I first attended small press expo in 2013. Um, I used to run a small blog at the time, and uh, apparently they let just anyone. And if you ask the right questions, so I asked to to Attend as, as press. Well, it is called and Small Press Expo, ever, after that, all.
0: That is a fact. Um, you hear that? That's me hitting the drums. Uh, no, sorry, go on. No, that's good.
1: Um, but yeah, no, so I, I asked to see if I could attend, and they let me go. And I was just getting started with you know doing some comics journalism at the time, and they uh they let me go, and it was, it was fantastic. It was only yeah. I think at that time maybe my second or third comic book show that I attended. The first one Jeez. was actually C2E2 in Chicago. I picked the hell of a one to, as my first oh, one. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. And also I turned to this press. So I got in for free for that as well. Obviously I had to do a lot of coverage. Right. Uh, for my blogs, like, you know, in the sense you kind of pay your way, but uh, it, it's kind of weird because they, they let in a lot of press also because it is, in essence, free advertisement. So um, it's an interesting way how all of those mechanisms work. But uh, that was my first one in 2013. And then I've essentially attended every single small press expo since then. Jeez. Either as press, I've been an exhibitor behind a table because so, I've written some yeah. comics, and I've also attended. In fact, this year, as just a you know regular run in the middle attendee, uh, I've also helped
0: a lot of people table. So yeah, uh, uh, in fact, I I believe you were helping someone table just this small press expo, right? Or um, least- not not
1: an official capacity. Oh, yeah. Um, like I didn't I didn't get because normally if you're if you're a table helper, right? Um, you can get a badge for that oh, okay. as an exhibitor essentially, but they were very much limiting the number of people who could be behind a table this year that due makes to sense. COVID
0: and all of that. So you could yeah. only have one person behind a table i mean i guess it's good so. that small press expo actually was paying attention to that stuff because i'm they sure did, that's yeah. fuzzier for other conventions maybe
1: and i think they, they did require masks indoors as well so, so yeah, that it, was it, was, my experience. it was
0: pretty thoughtful in that regard which i mean it I was a it was a little loose in some ways i saw some people kind of like briefly taking off their masks to munch on food in the court quor- the ah,
1: they were not supposed to do that right. that was actually a thing that Uh, Small Press Expo was very specific about, which is that, you know, you could obviously take down your mask to eat, but they kindly asked people to go outside. Yeah, but I would say that on the show
0: show floor where the most number of people, which is like, I think in my experience, typically the busiest area of Small Press Expo, which is a super crammed ballroom full of tables and people. Although I think it's actually slightly less crammed than it usually was this year. uh, my, My experience where people are actually pretty good about wearing their masks.
1: Yeah, no, I think everyone yeah. was really really cognizant of that. And I mean and the few instances where people maybe were eating, um, I think we're pretty isolated. I didn't as really well, see so. anyone
0: like com- actively complaining either. No. Yeah. Um, so there I didn't really see I mean I guess this is maybe sort of selection bias, but I didn't really see anyone standing outside going like How dare you not give me my badge? Like I yeah, I'm in no, America man. and it's a land of the free and you I know, you know it's not really the kind of
1: show I think that would draw that kind of attention but, which is so. kind of good I mean, you never know um but yeah, so suffice to say that 2019 was the last time that i had attended this show yeah. because there was no in-person small press expo in 2020 and 2021
0: um so you know two years in between just uh, to get some context to put some numbers on the table what was the first year that you went small press expo oh it was
1: 2013
0: 2013 yeah. okay so Jeez.
1: so next year is my decade of going to in essence actually with this year would have been 10 years so that
0: was i guess what in the second term of the Obama presidency, right? Oh God, when you put it that way, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's been a little while. That's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. A lot yeah. of stuff in between. Yeah. 2013. That's a, it's a chunk of time. I, I know people who've gone even longer than I'm that, sure. which is, I mean, it's a, it's a local staple. I think it is also the longest and biggest running show of its yeah. kind, which to be clear, cause we mentioned like comic con, right? Right. So this show is a little bit different. Um, you know, it, it it's, focuses more on well, small press. Yeah.
0: Um, then you know, it's not
1: an, an entertainment convention, which is what the comics. So have how become.
0: how small press are we talking about? I actually know the answer to this by one Alex to tell me.
1: Um. Well, it, that's a very good question, and uh, the nuance there is not always because when we're clear, talking about but,
0: small press, if you so I work at a bookstore, and when you think small press, I feel like sometimes you'll say, "Oh, small press." It's like a couple of people. Uh, working in a small publishing house and they put out books, a couple of books each year in the regular. It goes even smaller than it, that, folks. It does. Um, I mean, it,
1: it goes all the way down to people self-publishing. And I don't even just mean self-publishing through a paid printer. I mean literally printing things down the street at their local Kinko's or better yet in their own basement. Right. And then stapling things by hand.
0: I mean, yeah. it is, it is as lo-fi as that. Like small press expo is not specifically a zine yeah. uh, conference. You have a good number of like larger quote unquote, small presses there too. Like for instance, this year a uh, top shelf, I think had a pretty big presence. There was like a big top shelf table mm-hmm. in the, in the selling hall there was a sort of top shelf panel where some folks who represented the publishing house are kind of talking about the past history of the company. In the past, there have been um, companies like Fantagraphics, for instance, that have been represented, or Nobrow, places that are sort of, you know, bigger. They're not like giant, but they're relatively established compared to a good number of people on the floor who were really just you know they'll sell stickers they've made yeah they'll sell uh, washi tapes yeah Yeah. i mean you know specifically in the dc area i believe there's like dc zine fest which is coming back this year i believe and that is maybe more specifically focused on indie stuff um but small press expo does have a fair amount of you know like one or two people who run presses of various sizes well and i think that's the part that I think is potentially controversial
1: in yeah. some ways because when Small Press Expo started, there really wasn't... Well, actually, Top Shelf didn't mm. exist when, when Small Press Expo started. And, right. And we went to a Top Shelf panel where they talked about how Top Shelf itself was somewhat... Uh, came into being in some ways thanks to Small Press Expo. Yeah. Um, so there was a time when You know, Small Press Expo was really that small in the sense that there were no top shows. It was a small
0: press expo, not just a small press expo.
1: Um, But some of these um, publishers have grown with the show to the point where, and, and I think this is somewhat contentious. I mean, do they truly belong in a space like Small Press Expo that is really meant to be that small when they have you know not only nationwide but international distribution at their fingertips is that still small press yeah um are you small press if you're top shelf and you have published a uh series of graphic novels with congressman lewis like yeah john lewis like the mart the
0: march (laughs) books if you're now, if you're listening to this podcast, it could be that you're a hardcore comics freak. It could be that you're like sort of a comics casual person. You're like, "Oh, what are comics?" I loved reading Bone when I was a kid. Yeah. Well, if you have heard of the graphic novel series March, which I feel like is one of those books along with something like Persepolis and Mouse, where someone who doesn't really know or care much about comics go, "Oh, yeah, it's that graphic novel uh, by the civil rights guy that looks really neat and is like important and about." Um, the civil rights movie in the sixties and that kind of thing. That's a top shelf book. Also, uh, they called us enemy, a graphic novel by, uh, written by George Take, um, with some excellent art as well, not by George Takei, but can we actually get the artist's name? Pre- sorry. Probably should have looked um, this up in I advance. I don't know
1: off the top of my head, um, but,
0: but you know, they've done a lot of really, you know, they've, they've worked with some very high profile people in the past. Um, now I should say uh, my understanding, one of the most interesting things about Small Press Expo to me is that gap, like not just in terms of professionalism or in terms of budget, but also just we're talking about like a generation gap in a way. Like a couple of years ago, there was this big Fanagraphics panel. You So Fanagraphics has put out... Uh, has put out artists like a Daniel Klaus who did Ghost World and 8-Ball. It's put out famously the Hernandez brothers who are two of, I would say among comics lovers and historians, two of the most famous comics artists or like most well-known comics artists in the history of the United States. Um, I look at something like that and then I see kind of this newer generation of artists who grew up drawing web comics or fan art And I've always sort of sensed a kind of tension there between people who sort of came up in this kind of comics old school of the alternative world and people who sort of came up drawing in the 2000s and probably even now a generation beyond that. Like I bet there's kind of a new generation of kids now, like not just people who are now like sort of getting their middle grade graphic novel deals or like drawing stuff for Mm -hmm. Webtoon but kind of like the new kids after them who are probably getting their work back and forth in some venue I don't know much about cuz I'm like 30 and out of touch with that stuff. I'm so, like,
1: I'm even older, Adam, I'm 35. Oh, you didn't have to admit that on in <laughs> nah, the podcast, Alex. Cool. So, I'm I'm but the resident you, old do you, guy.
0: Do you agree or do you think that Not even that old.
1: Um you know, it's interesting because I think there is from an aesthetic sense. Sure, there there is that tension there but i don't think anyone is sitting there from that older guard being like oh there are those darn youths with the cosplay like you actually do get that tension at bigger shows where you have a lot of the you know people behind these uh artist booths being like cosplayers i guess i I bring it up
0: because uh just recently actually there's a small controversy at the comics journal where there was a uh you know pretty critical review of an up-and-coming sort of uh sort of critical mm-hmm. darling graphic novel that said hey this is sort of sexist trash that also has some formal problems and uh simon hanselman swoops in and says oh, hey this review is crap and you know hanselman yeah, has been the to small press expo in the past and is yeah. also like a you know very well renowned comics artist so you know i mean these sorts of beefs just play out anytime you have circles of artists especially when they sort of have different things they like and dislike in terms of what do you get out of art why do you draw stuff what are you making what do you find interesting right um
1: you know speaking of of small press expo and simon Hanselman, yeah
0: um is it he him i yes i believe so okay
1: um I actually saw him several small press expos ago uh, handing out cake with his hands. Oh, wild. Uh, can you imagine that in this, in this COVID world of ours, yeah. someone doing that? I don't anymore? know. Jeez. You know, I had a
0: friend who really loved crisis uh, zone. Um, I haven't, I haven't actually read Hanselman stuff, so I can't speak to it one way or the other. I've heard some good things.
1: Oh, I'm just mostly talking about, I, I don't want someone touching my oh, cake with their hands. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird time. Gross.
0: You might also hear all this. You'll say, well, what does DC or Maryland have to do with comics? Like, do DC artists or Maryland artists exist? I am here to tell you, podcast listener. They do. Yeah. There are more artists in this area than they might think. So, 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 a couple of things because I feel yeah. like we're 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 kind of
2: we're Jumping kind of drifting, place, and
1: yeah. I, and I and I, I actually have things to, to say okay, in response sorry. to a few of these Go things, on. and we're drifting so far away now. So I'm gonna bring us back. Okay. Um. So one to actually respond to the immediate thing. You know, it's kind of funny because pretty much every single artist I've met in this area is like, I'm all alone. There's no other artists around. And right. there's actually a ton of them. You just need to like literally talk to other artists. i heard Walt Simonson <laughs> lives around here. Or or go to Small Press Expo.
0: I'm sorry? Walt Simonson? Um, I didn't know that. The Yeah. Thor, there's a surprising, the yeah, famous store no, artist? Yeah, Maybe I, that's I, not true. I just feel like I've heard he's been to Small Press Expo in the past. I know he's been
1: to Baltimore Comic Con in the okay. past,
0: probably. But,
1: um, I mean, or that's like entirely uh, Rebecca possible. Sugar grew up in this area. Yeah, as well. that is a fact. Yeah. Um, so so, there's all kinds of yeah. There's all kinds of creators. Well, Noel Stevenson, the- for that matter, I think went to Micah, which is yeah. In, uh, or I guess in Nate in Stevenson Baltimore. now, right? Oh, I did not know that. Oh Nate yeah. St- oh hey, how about that? Okay, I learned something new. Mm. Um, I didn't know that. So, um, yeah. Anyways, so so yeah, there's there's tons of artists here, and and Small Press Expo is a testament to that because it is actually one of the biggest shows of its kind, which yeah. I think really needs to be. Uh, You know, and also one of the longest running because there have been other types of these shows that have cropped up around the country, some of which are still going strong, Mm. but some of which have closed their doors. So we got to be pretty thankful to the fact that we do have this small press expo. I mean, in my case, a Metro stop away. I mean, how many people can say that about a show of this magnitude? I mean, it really is just about five
0: or 10 minutes away from the Metro stop by Mm -hmm. foot. It's yeah. pretty convenient really. It's getting the red line. You shoot all the way down near there. Yeah.
1: Um so so anyway, it's a great show. But um to answer your other thing about this tension between some of the uh, older and newer creators, um I think in some cases there there is this sort of attitude of being, you know, too cool for school and some right. creators are cooler than others, and there's like clicks and any any medium is gonna have some element of that. But I think for the most part, and it's so funny because how many times do comics people say oh comics is it's family man and we were at that top shelf um, when they're not
0: saying comics will break your heart yeah <laughs> well it's comics, also true Family,
1: well but you know what family breaks your heart sometimes so you're right yeah that's a fact um, and it was it was really interesting to be at that top shelf panel and, and hear that sentiment echoed once more and it really made me think that you know about that and, and I think it's definitely true I mean I've I've been around this scene now myself for a decade and mm. and I have a lot of friends in, you know, comics and art. I've helped a lot of people out and and I kind of know and I see some of the drama that happens behind closed doors and people of course talk. Um and and I think that is such a true statement. Comics is family in all of the good ways and all of the bad ways. Yeah. And small press expo is such a perfect encapsulation of that because you really do get to see the best of people and people supporting each other and working towards a common goal and, and a common love. God damn it! Do you also hear people bitching about other people behind closed doors? I mean, it's a lot of. I mean,
0: speaking frankly, I've I've never tabled at a comics convention because just putting together comics is not yet something I have experience in. But it seems like a huge amount of work, like not only talking to so many people and selling all of your stuff, and not just even making that stuff, but physically moving all of your materials into the conference room, like getting it in and out of the doors sort of piling it all up having transportation to get all your stuff back and forth it seems like a pretty large endeavor really
1: it, it is and it's a, it's not something that anyone can learn like yeah. there's no there's no class to be like all right so this is how you self publish and like this is how you get your stuff out there i've you know again i've i've seen this over the years like you know some very talented artists who don't even know how to print their stuff like literally submitting their comics pages pasted on a word document page which God dang it, I man. I mean, if like, you can make it work. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. But like my point, or rather echoing your point of, you know, there's just so much to know. Yeah. And it's too much for any one person. And it does make you wonder, uh, it'd be nice if there were some resources to help people kind of get situated. Uh, if there was a wish list for a small press expo, it'd be, hey, provide resources for your new creators because... Or new creators interested in attending, or rather exhibiting, uh, at the show, because um, there really isn't a how-to list, and the the gamut of creators has gotten so much wider. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was echoing, or trying to to not echo to to express at the beginning, is that you know the top shelves have grown bigger, the no brows well have grown bigger. We have Hilda now as a Netflix animated show, right? Yeah,
0: A great Netflix animated show. I should add, probably 100%. one of their crown jewels. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um,
1: and all of these things are still at Small Press Expo, and they're also at a lot of shows. And I'm not saying they're like the biggest dogs around, but we're talking that they're in the same room as someone who for whom this is their first small press expo. They've maybe literally done one zine and they're sitting there and they could be having a great show because their their stuff is somehow, you know, really gaining traction, or they could be having the worst show experience of their lives. And you wouldn't know because that room is packed with people and and yeah. that's the gamut of experience that you can have there, and that that range has grown larger, and it is really daunting in some ways if you're a new creator to step foot in that room and put yourself on that same you know show floor as everyone else and and hope for the best uh, and it can really crush some people, so I'm so sure it's, it's tough
0: i mean at the, at the same time, I feel like. I can imagine someone saying, well, why have a convention now at all? Like, we're still sort of in the middle of a pandemic. It's a weird situation where, like, their vaccinations are more accessible and there are some really great boosters that are out there to help people out. But at the same time, people are still getting sick and are still dying. And in fact, some people are getting, like, long-term illness, really. Um, And also, there's all kinds of new ways to distribute comics now. Like, you can use Twitter, you can um you you can distribute your stuff online on places like gum road at the same time i feel like i can't speak as a comics creator only as someone who's been in that space and walked between booths i think there is something to be said for just having all of these different artists in one room and being able to come back and say hey it's those same people from last time and they're still there and now this is a new thing they're offering like it sort of gives you perspective on your kind of local community and people who are in that space in the way that you wouldn't have in the same way if everyone was just sort of drifting like off an internet space in their own little zones. Well,
1: and, and that's, you know, to kind of go back to the the whole thing at the, you know, conversation point at the beginning of this, where we were talking about it's been t- since 2019. Right. And, and I mentioned this sense of time dilation because in some ways it really felt like last year and it wasn't last year. It was, in fact, three years ago in yeah. 2019, um, and in some ways, it feels even longer because what has happened in between has been completely bonkers and something that I could not have imagined in 2019. And literally in September of 2019, right before everything kind of hit the fan, and also right before the Nats won the World Series, that was that was a wild one. I'm a big
0: baseball fan, so welcome to Sports Podcast, the that's podcast a where we talk about sports, not we, comics.
1: Yeah, and and uh, who knows? Maybe I'll do a baseball i should also say there were you
0: know of course there were a bunch of really great artists who were there this year to panel but also i think kind of a thinner list than small press expo usually gets just in terms of like the number of people who sort of come in yeah to talk and and i think that's also because
1: i mean people were reluctant to travel um i mean and also realistically this is a this is a i think a a grind that a lot of artists are experiencing yeah uh who go you know in the past like decade or so maybe got their first graphic novel deal and they put out the graphic novel and then realized maybe this wasn't their thing and have drifted away from the scene and you see mm. kind of the, the next crop of young creators ready to be ground away by the by the system and it's you know, not everyone makes it through that. And that's not necessarily, I'm not endorsing this by any, by any means. It, it, it's really rough. And uh, it, it's a testament to those who can kind of make it through either through luck or, or perseverance or skill or what, you know, combination of that, probably all three um, that, you know, that some have persevered to, to be a part of these, you know, creator circles and to continue to put out work for so long. And in some cases experience tremendous success. So, yeah. Um, And and there's something I was trying to get at earlier, and it kind of drifted out of my head now. But, um, anyway, sorry. I mean, it's kind of
0: like a, it is a weird, imperfect space where there can be beefs, and it can be kind of intense with the number of people. Like again, so usually going to Small Press Expo, I'm used to waiting for something like 15 or 20 minutes in line before I'm able to get my badge and go inside. This year, I felt like I didn't have to wait in line at all. So it was not yeah. as crowded as it usually was for better or worse, but it was, it was still fairly packed inside. Um, like you were still surrounded by people. And it was, I guess for me, a little nerve wracking in that way as someone who's still trying to get past this idea of being in a space of a lot of our right. people, where even if they have a vaccine card with them, they might still be carrying something in. You just don't know. And, and, a, and a big part of that was small press expo also had
1: more, resources in place to get your badge early right i was able to get my badge on friday before the, oh, well, the show opened its doors if you will on saturday so uh that was really nice that's something yeah. that they've previously done for exhibitors uh but not for attendees so nice little perk to see extend um and i don't know how many people it actually helped but it helped me yeah so no i'm no, for happy sure. for i that. think that's a great idea especially at a time like this yeah yeah um but i mean to, to your point though of you know that these dangers and and why would people assume them where, where we have assumed them. I can't tell you how many people I ran into at this show that I haven't really seen for the past, Mm. you know, three years. Yeah. I saw there are people Um, who are really glad to see you. And I was glad to see them. And it was, it was nice. I mean, because you don't realize how much that these comic book events, shows, expos, conventions, um, they bring us all together because of Mm. our shared interests and, you take that away and we all kind of drift back to what we normally do and you lose something. And and sometimes what you lose through that is so missed that yeah. when given the opportunity to do it again, you kind of throw caution to the wind. And I mean, sure, that's what I did. I went to, you, you know, you asked me, was this my first show this year? It wasn't. I went to, uh, or my first show since the pandemic, I went to, you know, to TCAF as well. What's the, scale, um, what's
0: the scale of TCAF compared to Small Press Expo? It's a
1: little bit bigger, I would say. Yeah, because
0: you were saying the Small Press Expo was sort of one of the bigger of its kind, right? But would you sort of put TCAF in a different sort of weight class and not quite Paris?
1: I would say they're similar. TCAF okay. benefits greatly from having a public library to leverage as its convention oh, space. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Which is very unique to Toronto uh, because they have more, you know, money in their system from you know taxpayers and you know government programs and all that to to facilitate that the show itself is free to attend yeah which which Small Press Expo is not it's 30 it was rather 30 bucks for all two days of the show which is on the much much lower end for any show but you still have to pay for it whereas decaf it's free Mm. Uh, anyone can walk into that show which is you know, it's great because they get, again, they get government funding. Right. Because apparently, you know, they believe in that and it's un-American to provide government funding for things because, oh no, show socialism will, will kill us all somehow. Um, so um, it's quite different in that sense. And, yeah. and I think TCAF was also in, in some ways better equipped to have a show during the pen, during a pandemic, because right. that space is so much bigger where it spreads people out across the whole uh, yeah. library, which, which does help. I mean, don't get me wrong there are corners of that library that are super cramped but that show has always been very spread out because of how it it sort of takes place across that whole uh, library and the reason i mentioned that tcaf is so you asked me is it the same weight class and the, the reason i say it's well it's about the same because it is about the same except when it hasn't been if you rolled the clock back to 2019 there were indie you know video game makers there uh image was there with their anniversary like what twenty year anniversary Jeez, or something? That's was a at that was that
0: saga. Yeah, that image, right? Yeah, that yeah. image,
1: um, and they had like a space separate from the library that they were essentially leveraging. For all of the image
0: creators that were there for that world class um, comics artist Todd McFarlane image, yeah. or is he still at Image? I don't remember. Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. Okay.
1: Uh, I mean, although I'm, I was more interested in uh, the creative team behind Monstrous. Oh, so, right. Uh, yeah, the
0: famous comic Mar- Monstrous,
1: which I am blanking on their names now, but uh, Marjorie Lou is Mar- one of thank them. Thank you, Marjorie Lou, and oh my God, uh, I forget the artist. Artist name. Anyways, uh, this is why I have Google and I don't have it in my fingertips right now. But I apologize. So to go on that year in t- two thousand nineteen, the show I would argue was in a weight class all of its own, and I think the years leading up to the to, to the pandemic, TCAF had grown well beyond in some ways what Small Press Expo could ever be, um, because again, it, it you have indie video game creators there. That's freaking awesome. Like, and that the intent of the show in that sense was much broader than what Small Press Expo purports to be. Um, but I think this year it felt much more similar because TCAF itself has contracted a little bit as a result of the pandemic. Right.
0: So. I believe the... By the way, I think the the artist of Monstrous is Sana Takeda.
1: That's that's right. And, right. and, and yeah, I did remember, but then I was like, am I going to butcher her name? So i best not to.
0: Yeah, I apologize if I mispronounced. So...
1: Um. Yeah, and and also big big recommend on monstrous. I uh, I've been following that series. I like I've read of it. It it's has so a lot good. of
0: dense fantasy lore in it, and also lots yes. of violence, which is you fun. Know,
1: weirdly enough. This is always something I'm on the fence about. Is it best to read some of these image books or what have you when they come out, issue by issue, or are they best experienced? a pretty, pretty in nice trade?
0: kind of combined omnibus compendium. You can get mm-hmm. a monstrous. That I would for several volumes.
1: I would definitely say that the uh, the the collected format is best for how dense it is and the omnibus a hundred percent yes so anyway we digress tremendously let's get back to small press x but we spoke well, about- what else
0: do we do in this podcast right we that's digress true. that's why uh, they, they that's why we do this
1: <laughs> you know we really i feel like we should change the name of this podcast to like digressions by the something. way
0: i should add um harmony becker is the artist of they yes. call us enemy
1: and thank you for bringing that up again because i did google that and then we completely got sidetracked so yeah and also, I believe it's Harmony Becker. Yeah. And yeah. also they called us enemy has two other co-writers in Justin Isinger and Steven Scott.
0: Yep. Who and so. Becker did an original graphic novel called, I think Himawari share or Himawari house. That's worth keeping an eye out for. If you're curious to see uh, their independent work as well. Cool. But no, Alex, I think you're trying to shepherd us. So we're, yes. we're having a show and tell this week. Um, we apologize. Things are a little loose because uh, we have kind of a wide range of things to talk about however we thought it would be fun since small press expo is a place where you go and you buy people's comics and you read them and talk about them each of us has brought things to share not too few things and not too many things but just enough things and we're i think going to go back and forth and we're going to talk about some comics you think are really cool in, in as little or as much detail as you like until a delivery yep. person comes with food, and we have to put this down and do something else. So, do yes. you, Alex, who should go first? Is it a uh, you or me who should start?
1: I mean, I think we have a couple of things that are maybe on both of our lists. That's
0: right. So we've been a little, we've sort of eaten at some of the same watering holes, I believe, in terms of the stuff we picked up.
1: So maybe, uh, maybe we started the uh, probably the biggest shared one, which okay. is Glacier Bay.
0: Glacier books. Bay. Glacier oh. Bay
1: books. Um, because I think you, I picked up. Uh, well, actually, I've picked up a bunch of their stuff um, over uh, the, the, the recent time frame of yeah. time we find so ourselves in. But I picked up four things at this show, and I had already two other things in my collection. Yeah. Before we
0: start, out. Alex, tell me, what is Glacier Bay Books? What kind of stuff do they put out?
1: They put out a lot of uh, indie manga.
0: yeah. And
1: they've been doing so now for only a few years. I think only starting like 2018, I want to say. So what do, we, what do we mean
0: by indie manga? I feel like when we question. have people in the United States and they talk about manga, a lot of the time I think you're going to be thinking about uh, comics from what's called Shonen Jump, right? Shonen Jump Magazine. This is stuff yep. like uh, Naruto, Shojo. One or, Piece, yeah. uh, Chainsaw Man right now. Uh, yep. If you want to go a little further out, you can start talking about uh, Kodansha, which publishes Sailor Moon in the U.S., I think. You have, uh, did maybe I guess Vertical got eaten by Kodansha recently, right? Another one to bring up, a Seven Seas. Oh, wait, they did? Vertical? Or I thought they oh, did, but maybe they, maybe that's not right. Um, you have Seven C's, which puts out some really cool stuff, actually, as well as like a bunch of uh, Chinese uh, boys love Danmei web fiction as well. So you have, these are like kind of smaller presses. I mean, really, I guess in the U.S., Viz is the biggest game in town. I think they do a lot of Shonen Jump stuff. Yeah. They put out a lot of really popular comics. Oh, did you mention Yen Press? Yes, Yen Press as well is another, uh, you know, publisher in the U.S. I think they handle stuff like Yatsuba and, so they had some great titles as well. Yeah. Now, the thing is that when we talk about indie manga, we're talking about smaller than that. Smaller than Seven Seas, smaller than most of these publishers. We're talking tiny. When I, mean, I was,
1: yeah. I mean, in some cases, we're literally talking about works that were self-published the same way that you're seeing at a small press expo by Western, more mostly North American creators, um, but in a Japanese context, so, which is wild. Comics I mean, really
0: fans, cool. I'm going to be real of you right now over the podcast here. Just put aside all questions of legality in your head. If you're a certain kind of comics fan, you'll say, oh yeah, You're like talking about all these mainstream comics but I'm different. I read Scanlations. I love Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer and like, um, I don't know, like Wombs or Atsushi Kaneko's stuff. Like I read the real obscure stuff. And you know, (laughs) like that's fair. I understand you. I also loved Wombs. That's a great series. I really enjoyed Soil. But we're talking smaller than that. We're not even talking like Comic Beam. We're not talking Harta. Yeah. Like this isn't which had a telier. This is like, You're, I mean, one of these books that we're talking about was literally just distributed as, as a zine. That's how small. Yeah, you we're are getting. not
1: going to find some of this stuff online. Period. I mean, and that is, uh, I mean, that's kind of cool in some ways yeah. because we do get it now in some ways. So I mean, frankly, it sure it's it-
0: it's great that, I mean, I'm not sure how sustainable it is, but there are now a handful of small Japanese comics publishers in the U.S. Yep. that are making accessible some of these titles that are not only hard to find like even in japan perhaps but also put out material that might otherwise never sell on a traditional u.s comics market yeah like some of the stuff is really interesting and just really unconventional and it's really great that it's getting out there like besides glacier bay books yep. uh star books is another really cool publishers and putting stuff out oh they weren't actually at Small Press Expo. So Glacier Bay Books is specifically what we're going to be focusing on here, but they have a lot of different cool titles. So thankfully, I think we should have plenty and, of options. And,
1: and that's another thing that I want to kind of highlight really quick before we kind of move on to right. what we, we picked up from them is that the aesthetics of the work that you will see in Glacier Bay published books is very much in some ways similar to what you would expect in some cases of manga. But in other cases, it is very much not because it very much exists in that indie world or space of of comics creating where anything goes. So you really see, you know, if you have a preconceived notion of what manga looks like, this will challenge that. And that's a good thing. Um, But also, in some ways, it'll probably fall very close to it. Um, I mean,
0: we're talking. I think, you know, one of my favorite comics artists is Taya Matsumoto. Who draws in a more European style than you typically see in a lot of Japanese in the Japanese comics industry? Now, reading Matsumoto's stuff, like Tekken Concrete, was a major step in my development as a comics reader, where sort of I would read his comics, and I went from saying, "This is kind of ugly to going, "No, this is great." Like Matsumoto's a fantastic artist." There is stuff in what I read from Glacier Bay books, it even pushes me where I'm like, am I reading manga? Like, what is this? What's yeah. happening on the page? Like I found myself confronting my own limitations as a reader, I think. Um, but it's really fascinating to see this stuff out there and to see artists taking such big swings in terms of how they, yep. you know, they might take or remix some of the building blocks you'd expect from manga, but then just take them in a really wild directions. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And actually um, one of my the favorite things that I picked up um at at this show um from glacier bay the carmen line by mitsuhashi kotaro um at points i was like am i reading something by roman Muradov? published you know with some of his published work by nobrow or or yeah. you know any, anything else that he's put out there and um i mean it doesn't matter <laughs> uh, you know it, it but it vibes very much with you know a western creator right like so, that. so what is this so. book
0: i guess it's it can be a little you know since this isn't the visual medium this is an audio one so we understand that describing the art here might be a little tricky but i remember when i was at the convention the guy running in glacier bay books table and there really was only one person who was there uh they were saying hey we're just about to sell out of these so this i understand was a book that was in pretty high demand um what would you say stood out to you when you were reading through it
1: uh the carmen liner in general the
0: Carmen line one.
1: Um, I mean, so the, the interesting thing about, and this is actually a good thing to, to sort of preface, uh, weirdly enough, pretty much the three main books that I picked up that I wanted to sort of highlight from okay. from Glacier Bay um, are all anthologies of uh, one creator's works. So there's three of them. Each one is a different creator, and it's anthologies of some of their either self-published works or uh, maybe in some cases it follows a theme Like in the case of Mermaid Town by Tomohiro Tsugawa, it's a collection of dreams that he's rendered into, you know, stories. Mm. Uh, And Mermaid Town is literally the sort of dreamscape town of all of the the various landscapes in his dreams that he goes to and themes. So I think it's very cool that way. But uh, it's kind of interesting because they all kind of share this sort of dreamlike quality, whether it's uh, in Mermaid Town or the Carmen line. I should say mermaids in
0: a Japanese mythology are a little meaner than they are in the Ooh. in American fairy tales. You could say. Well, I'm yeah. not sure how much oh. that comes up in the story.
1: These are all not these are not stories that end well. There's a lot of sadness. And, yeah, um, you know, it, it's it's very bittersweet, even when when it is maybe uh, happier. But it's all very challenging work. It's it, it, you know you kind of don't don't just walk you know, blithely into
0: it. You kind of have to be prepared for heavier work. Mm. Um What do you say? Inter- is that in terms of subject material or just in terms of the art and how it's drawn? All like, of the above. I so mean, it's uncomfortable to read in that way.
1: Yeah, it, it can be. I mean, like even the Carmen line, which again, it's, it's all the same creator, but he doesn't adhere to the same stylistic approach in every single story. So right. some will be a little bit more rough around the edges and and harsh to to sort of follow like from, aesthetically. From where I'm
0: from where I'm sitting, I see like a lot of really dark inks. Yes. Yeah, like some pages where just the gutters are just pitch black. Yeah, I mean, even. in
1: some cases, there's kind of this charcoal feel to to the uh, you know the the shading and. In some cases, it's more uh, watercolors. In some cases, it's just scribbles um, yeah. in a very like kind of it looks like someone drew it in pen, <laughs> you know, like a scribble on the back of a notebook or something. So it, it really ranges in in approach stylistically. I mean, in some cases, I mean, obviously, it's not something you know, It's not half-assed. I'm not trying to say that. It, it clearly, there's a lot of artistic intent. Oh, for sure. Behind how it was put together. But, you know, kind of when I first picked this up and I started reading it without even maybe thinking too hard about it, I was like, is this the same person? But it is, it is. Jeez. It's just very much the intent of each story changes. Um, and with it, the art style does too, which I thought was
0: really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I love artists who can draw one particular kind of thing incredibly well, but when you find someone who can draw anything, that's what's right. really incredible. Like, I, I do think they have a style that yeah. kind of, hint like everything kind of...
1: Um, Uh, is held together by but there is definitely variation in approach and and sort of material almost in a sense that that makes each one unique
0: yeah that's cool are there any like particular episodes in these books you'd like to shout out Um, oh gosh i would have to
1: think about that i was not prepared to talk about oh no but i did i did i will say i read all all three of these i read everything that i got from from so can you go through the titles again there's mermaid yeah so it's a mermaid town, okay. Um, by um, Tomohiro Tsugawa. Yeah, there's uh, um, From This Flame by Umi Konomi, right? And then you know, the Carmen line, uh, by Mitsuhashi Kotaro. And I would frankly recommend all three of them. I think thematically, they, they actually work very oh, well together because they're all anthologies of these very sort of dreamlike landscapes that are horrific and beautiful. At the same time.
0: Is there one in particular that stood out to you above the other two? Like personally? I don't think Ooh, in ter- not in terms of objective quality, because that's whatever. It doesn't I that's think, not really real. But I think there's something that resonated with you especially.
2: It,
1: it it's really difficult and it feels unfair to pick a favorite. But, okay. Um I think Mermaid Town I really appreciated from a from a narrative standpoint, because okay. it really the way that it approaches dreams and Uh, speaks about those dreams and the horrors that you sometimes find in them, I think spoke to me personally very much
0: uh, in that I've had similar dreams. So in that sense, it really hit a note. What do you say? Um, Is that a question of narrative or character more like a general tone? uh, I think or kind of the way the story is conveyed.
1: What the the dreams are about, like what happens, like it's literally
0: just the, the actual
1: narrative. Right. I think stood out to me. I think artistically the other two are much more interesting in terms of the, uh, you know the the line work the literal art in them it's just more experimental or kind to, of the, the pacing
0: know. or the spacing on the page uh,
1: j- just like the, you know, the drawings on the page basically right. like it, I think it's, it's just more creative and, and really interesting which is why I, I don't want to do them a disservice because artistically they're very fascinating and interesting oh, yeah. but and the one that resonated with me the most in that sense was probably Mermaid Town
0: okay um, I mean I guess it also helps to know what your own priorities are as a reader right like I feel like there are right. people who just really love Paging through beautiful artwork and couldn't care what the story is. Like I know some people like that where all they really care about is seeing great illustrations on the page. And then there are other Fair. people where I think plot matters much more to them.
1: Well, and that's why it was really hard for me to like when you asked me to pick one. It's like right. I don't don't make me because I I, well, I of course I'm going to. That that's why it's <laughs> it's
0: fun to watch you squirm. Well, anyway.
1: Uh, all right. Well, it's your turn to squirm. yeah. Now it's my turn to you, squirm. What did I've been you nailed have
0: down? So I have another Glacier Bay book. Um, this one. So. Uh, Glacier Bay has an ongoing series of anthologies called Glaciola of which I bought volume two some time ago over the website, but I thought since I was at their table, I'd buy the most recent one volume three. So this is something like 400 pages of independent comics. It's a nice big volume with a really cool illustration
1: and it's all different creators.
0: That's right. It's all different creators. And in fact, there's a nice little introduction where the editor of this anthology sort of talks through their process And they say that while Glaciola 2 had a couple of artists who were repeats from Glaciola 1, they say that a lot of the people in uh, this new collection are, I believe, in fact, totally new um, to the Glaciola series. So it's kind of a great chance to check up on a bunch of artists who I actually wasn't really familiar with. Some of these did remind me of um, some other folks I'd seen in the past, especially like some of the comics I've seen that have been fan-translated. But I had some looking up to see if they were, in fact, the same person. They were not. Uh, they just sort of had a similar vibe, I think. Um, now, there's a very wide variety of stuff in this collection. There are a couple of stories that are drawn in a more conventional manga-like way. So, for instance, something like... Um, let's see here... Komachiya Suzuka's September Friends, or... Uh, Oratnir's everyday scenery are drawn in sort of much more conventional manga style where I feel like if you were looking through I don't know like a manga scanlation hub or something back in the day and you stumbled across across it you'd see it and go oh yeah it's like a cool standalone one-shot like the characters kind of look like something you'd expect like in a book put out by Seven Seas for instance but again there's definitely artists in here who draw in a style that is just completely unlike anything else I've seen from Japanese comics in a way that actually sometimes reminded me of my own limitations as a reader. Like, for instance, one I think, for me, one of the most bonkers pieces in this collection is called 30th Century by Yokoyama Yuichi. And effectively, it doesn't... In some ways, it's very much like Japanese manga. There's a very strong emphasis on automatopia and like giant katakana letters as sort of a means of constant sound effects but to this point where they almost kind of dominate the page it almost feels like you're watching like a particular I mean something like uh, the movie I think Playtime for instance where plots just completely de emphasized just about watching different buildings and spaces and people walking through those buildings in terms of what's happening, like it's just an entire short story made out of katakana and weird little dialogue bubbles coming out of nowhere and lines and circles that seem like they're faces but are so abstract it's impossible to really read them as faces. I frankly didn't really understand what this was. I had this really I, strong, just I was going
1: to ask, like, as a Western reader, does yeah. that translate at all at this point
0: no and to be frank i think i mean this is also something i've been challenged by when i've read uh, western comics like for instance i've looked at eleanor davis's stuff in the past who's an artist i really appreciate but i think i have an easier time with davis's later stuff which is more constrained and is Mm, kind of more putting her art into individual panels or making it easier or cleaner to read right for earlier stuff is much more sprawling and that is where i have i start having trouble i have to train myself and say no like this is just a different way of drawing it's not bad you have to get used to it i definitely have some of those zines and right
1: it's, it's it's really good stuff but it's and a different I kind of experience right yeah
0: and this story for me like i have just i in the back of my brain there's this terror terror terrified lizard brain reaction like what is this i can't take it <laughs> but you know this this guy um all well, this artist i believe they've I think Ben collected a couple times before in English are actually mm-hmm. one, probably one of the better known artists in this collection internationally. Right. And I've seen people online say, Oh, this person's doing just incredible genre smashing work. So I think if I went through this and probably combed through a bunch of their stuff, I might get a sense for just how like, Oh, I'd think, wow, it's really amazing. They're doing this, but it does remind me, like, I guess I'm still evolving as a reader. Like there's still things I look at it. You look at the tea leaves and you don't see anything. Like right. I know there's something here, but, but it does stand out just in how different it is. Yeah. I think if you were to read it, even if your tastes run more toward like more of a conventional manga you'd see in Shonen Jump, for instance, it's still worth looking at something like this, to just see how different this stuff gets.
1: You know, and I think that's, I want to reflect on that for a bit because, yeah. you know, there's, there's a real tendency when we experience any form of art to drift towards what is comfortable to us. Right. But I think there's there, there can be so much rewarding, uh, or, or it can be so rewarding ultimately to go to something that is unfamiliar, that is scary sometimes, and begin to experience it. Because who knows? Maybe over time you will learn to appreciate it. So I think there is something to be said for challenging yourself right. in terms of, you know any kind of art that you experience to experience more of it. And and it opens your eyes, I think, uh, rather than just going back to your comfort zone again and again and again.
0: Now, if we're talking about comics that take you outside of your comfort zone, I think a story in here that was still challenging in a way, but I had a slightly easier time with, it's called In the Dog Soup by... Uh, Junichiro Saito Mm -hmm. Uh, Now this is someone who According to their author biography In the back uh, Their masterpiece And I apologize uh, The title of this comic Has a swear word in it So this might really bust up our engagement ratings But apparently he's best known For a a comic called Shit Chofu Gangsta Journey Um, (laughs) And then in October 2021 There's a new book called Shit Chofu Mystery America That came out but this is like kind Good of shit. really fun sort of <laughs> filthy, weird comics drawing. Like there's a, it doesn't, it sort of has a plot. There's a woman who may or may not be a serial killer, may or may not be a werewolf or some kind of dog. Okay then. Um, there's kind of crappy police detectives. There's abuse. I mean, there's a lot of, kind of gross stuff in here, but it's drawn in this sort of very gritty, weird style where it sort of fits. Like it's a world where everyone's a little pinched and a little odd yeah, and I'm, everything's I'm, sort of falling to pieces. I'm
1: seeing the, the you flip through the pages yeah. and it looks really It's very distinctive. To me. Yeah.
0: Like it's not, again, it's different from that earlier 30th century story in that the characters are, they're drawn like people. So this is more in like, Again, kind of in that world of Taiyo Matsumoto or like a Masaki Iwasa world Mm -hmm. where the characters, he can kind of squint at them and say, oh yeah, those are sort of manga characters. But the story is much more adrift from what you typically think of as a plot. There are things that happen, happen, there are really shocking events, but they don't really cohere. And it ends on just this really goofy joke. It's like all of a (laughs) sudden, the woman who you see at the very beginning is about to fight like a giant floating skeleton that's breathing fire on things. And you're like, "What? what's going on? What is but going on? <laughs> you still kind of laugh. You're like, oh, man, like it sort of took guts. She's like, come on. Right. And it shows very funny to me.
1: You know, and I want to focus in on that for, for a second, because as we were talking about a lot more indie comics in general, um, most stories, most comics follow very traditional narrative structures. But once you enter the world of indie comics, yeah, you well some will follow traditional narrative structures but others simply won't and that's something that maybe is worth consideration is that when you're experiencing these type of stories it's the intent sometimes is to convey very twisted narratives and most frequently to elicit some sort of feeling and in doing so
0: the narrative may or may not make any sense at face
1: value. And yeah, you really it's kind of are... vibes
0: only, really. It's like the equivalent yeah. of kind of watching a three or four minute intense animated music video or something rather than reading like a traditional short story. Right. Which takes some kind of getting used to, but it's not a bad thing. Oh, absolutely not. And I, I, mean, I think comics yeah. are kind of situated to give you like that one-two punch in the gut, right? Like having a nice little disposable thing that somehow contains like this intense... Feeling in this small package, yeah,
1: yeah, and actually, I mean, I was just thinking about that because you you challenged me to pick like my favorite, you know, shorts in some of these anthologies, and right. I was like, man, I was I was lost in the feels, like I was just going from one to another. I mean, it, to, to some extent, it it kind of does a, a disservice when you're reading the whole volume beginning to end for yeah. any of these anthologies because each one can be so different from the the last one, even when it's the same creator that you kind of get lost in that flow and it doesn't mean that you experience it less well or powerfully but it does make it blur
0: a bit. Yeah so two more stories I want to talk about in this collection I think and there's plenty of other great ones in here too these are just two that kind of stood out to me as things I can talk about there's one called 2 to the 999th power by Yagi Nakaharu. and so this one I think of many of the stories I've read in this connect collection, it's not necessarily the most conventional, but it's definitely one where if you're like out there reading online scanlations, and you're like, oh man, I want to read stories that'll blow my mind with philosophical themes and mathematical sci-fi twists, like this is definitely that story for you. Like, this is about a young girl who lives in a universe. Um, like I should read. Uh, the opening page one day a person that kind of like turned to me and said this let me tell you this world's secret you believe that i existed before you and will continue after you die but in reality that's not the case this world didn't exist until you were born and it will disappear when you die Mm. this world was created solely for you and so the way that this story plays out is that she plays rock paper scissors against an increasingly large number of people but the number of people required for her to win more and more games of rock, paper, scissors and ranked tournaments means the creation of thousands and like millions of Dyson spheres and multiple universes all across like existence. So if that makes you go, oh, I want to read about like lots of weird science fictional gobbledygook about like interdimensional transfers and things that both and exist Dyson and don't spheres? exist at the same time. Yeah. This is a story for you. I will say... The art is much more conventional. It's not really about that. I feel like a lot of the kind of wild stuff this story is doing is really in the writing and not even in the character work. It's just like the characters saying, oh man, this is a wild science fiction idea that I'm going to like talk about for a little bit. Here's like a one and done cool concept. If you're into that kind of thing, I think this story is a lot of fun to read through and it has like a freaky twist ending, of course. And I want to end with... Um, I, mean, I should also add, actually, uh, the, the comic you mentioned, From the Flame, I think, right? There's actually um, a story.
1: Yeah, no, sorry, go
0: on. There's a story by that author in this collection called Move Forward.
1: Uh, by Umi Konami? That's right. Oh, By Umi very Konami cool. right here. So yeah, yeah. if you
0: happen to read that comic and like it, feel free to buy Glaciola 3, and you'll have one kind of fun comic story about a little girl who puts a goldfish bowl on her head after a goldfish dies. So that's fun. But that's not the last story I want to talk about. I want to the read that now story, because
1: after reading from this flame, I'm like, I'm vibing with that. The so.
0: real story I want to talk about is Rain in Nakasu by Hadena Kangofu. Now, as someone who'd sort of gone through this volume and again, like, had very confused responses to a bunch of these stories, and had very like, ah, yes, like this is pretty good responses to a bunch of the stories. This one really felt like coming home to me, like immediately. You turn the page, and it's like grand cinematic. Like the whole page is taken up by panels. There's just some page great after perspective work of like amazing perspective work, and like giant sp- sprawling cityscapes. Like in something like a Hadoro by Q Hayashida, which is one of my favorite comics. Um, it creates this just really amazing, deep, feeted world where there's this character sort of trying to obtain fish. For their boss, which just takes them in these really weird and kind of gross places. It conveys so much about like, oh, what what's happening in this world? What is everyone doing? Um, really quick, so yeah. just looking
1: at the at the pages as you go through them, the right. contrast between the sort of painstaking detail of the uh, of the backgrounds, which right. are just so You know, detailed, and then the more cartoony nature of the of the characters. Like the main
0: character, the main character is this very cartoony, moey little character, Mm -hmm. and many of the other adults are rendered in a much more realistic style. So there's that cool kind of right, um, sort of set off impression as well, where you have these different stylistic modes that are existing in the same place. Now, at the same time. I would actually say this is the most reprehensible story in this entire oh collection. God. Besides it's the longest it's 60 pages long or so. And I, you know, it's okay. So reprehensible, how <laughs> reprehensible, how, so this is basically like the maiden abyss of this collection. Oh Gosh, darn and it, it's okay. about a little, uh young person <laughs> who has this horrible journey in which uh freaky octopi like creatures are involved mm-hmm. is all I'm going to say. So okay, like definitely reading through this, it's like, if you've watched made in abyss and like how it like has these cute little characters who real, look really young, like wandering through these horrible nightmarescapes, yeah. this has some of those vibes and it ends on like, you know, they, they get out in one piece and have a little moment of victory at the end, but it has kind of a sad ending as well. So if that's not for you by all means, stay the heck away from this. Like Fair this enough. is really like the kind of thing you're, if you had a friend who was going to recommend this to you, They'll say, like, oh, I have to preface this by saying, like, oh, man, it's this, this, and this. And if that bothers you, stay away. But, you know, at the same time, I just can't deny, like, again, the perspective work is really cool. Just the world in the Vokes is really amazing. There's a sense there's these kind of horrible things lurking right out of sight that you sort of catch a little bit of, but you never see the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So even though it feels, I felt pretty gross definitely reading it, I'm definitely curious to see what other work this person has done. And and also just, you know, speaking frankly, as someone whose tastes in comics do kind of run more toward the, not necessarily even like the Shonen Jump stuff, but like the icky stuff, like Dorohadoro or Bokurano, for instance, like right there in the middle, where it's like on one hand kind of more indie than your typical like mainstream comic, but also like right. not so abstracted that it's like very you need to sort of have a very open mind, you know, this definitely spoke to me the most in being right in that sweet spot, but it can also totally imagine someone saying, what the heck is this? Right? Like this is just kind of despicable. So I have weird feelings about it, but I also enjoyed reading it, even though there are parts that really made me go, what, what the heck is going on here? What is this person doing? But I thought he called out anyway.
1: And I think that's applicable to a lot of, art and comics that exists oh, yeah. in, in, in these more indie spaces because it will a hundred percent be more challenging because a lot of times the subject matter is not it's really not fit for mass consumption in any sense so. i mean to
0: be frank like a bunch of these fan artists these indie cartoons out there on the internet are really indulgent and that manifests in all kinds of ways sometimes right. it's like pushing the boundaries of the narrative much further than you typically see from these kinds of stories other times it's like You know, they'll have a comic that's great in all kinds of ways and I'll go, oh man, but what if there was like, I don't know, like you just saw pictures of their feet the whole time, you know, and that was just like their thing. And that's like maybe a little more innocuous than some of the kind of stuff that goes on in these books.
1: But. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of transgressive things you can do, but, you know, just watch out for the Nazis and we're good. Oh, for sure. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. really. <laughs> but that's those but, I think
0: are what I talk about here in this Glaciola collection. There are many more interesting stories. I'd recommend checking it out. And also going back to Glaciola 1 and 2, 2, I believe, won an Ignatz Award, which wow. is kind of the big small press expo awards that it gives out to many deserving comics in the past. So definitely worth checking out the whole collection when you have time. But I think that's enough for me. Um, there's a lot in this book, and I don't want to spend the whole time just talking about this.
1: Well, so I think this is a good time for us to take a quick break um, because actually our food is about to get here. Oh, so okay. So when next you hear from us, we will have been well-fed and watered uh, because we're apparently a plant podcast. So we shall return. Uh, there will be no ad break. We will just be back.
0: Hey, so unfortunately, we have bad news to report. Uh, there is a power outage, and we lost an entire out. We lost no. an entire hour of our podcast. Just kidding, it didn't actually happen.
1: I mean, then, then, I mean, you you listen to that, dear listener, to that hour. So somehow you were lucky, but yeah, it's no, we true. We we realized that we never hit save on the uh, the recording before going to eat. Yeah, no, so. we're
0: very careful to future proof these episodes to avoid very silly circumstances like that. But anyway, so I believe Alex after I had my long rant about all the interesting artists. And I should say, it's not, I've been saying Glaciola this whole time, but it's really uh, Glaiolia, actually, is the name of the comics collection from Glacier Bay Books that I mentioned. Uh, so just clearing that up. But I, I believe that Alex wanted to talk about another book as a matter of fact.
1: Yeah, so speaking of Ignat's winners and nominees, um, I wanted to switch gears to talking about Canvas by... Uh, Theo Stoltz, which won a Ignatz in 2020, um, was also nominated for another Ignatz that it did not w- win at the time. Um, I think uh, it was best mini comic that it did not win, but it won like best upcoming uh, artist. Or and the Ignatz
0: are the, just to reconfirm, ah, the Small Press Expo Awards, right?
1: That is important, yes. That is the you know how all of these uh, conventions, comic book conventions, have award shows, or maybe you don't. In which case, you're finding out now that the I believe the Eisners are unique to uh, San Diego Comic Con. Oh, interesting. Are they?
0: Is San Diego? They may be.
1: Uh, the Harvey Awards are unique to Baltimore Comic Con. So, is so,
0: the Ignatz Award like actually a brick? Do they hand out bricks to the people who win? Yeah, it's a literal brick. Oh, that's pretty wild.
1: Which, which is particularly hilarious if you travel to the show. Oh yeah, uh, and you know you're
0: taking that back in your luggage. I guess some, some that's people a joke, though. Yeah,
1: but you know it's a, it's kind of hard to take back. <laughs> but you know, good problem to have if you win a brick. So. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so, uh, Canvas um, was uh, itself um, published by Lucky Pocket Press, and they were um, at SPX this year. Um, They're they're a local staple because they are based in Baltimore, um, and their output is fantastic, and obviously, Canvas was very well received in 2020. And the Luddite that I am, I did not read this until Mm. 2022, now, granted... Um, 2020 would have been the pandemic year. Uh, SBX True. would have been happening, yeah. in essence, um, you know, remotely at that point in time. Um, I did, however, realize that I had had a copy of this from before this year, hmm. so I, I must have picked it up at some other point in time. Right. Um, so I bought
0: it twice because I'm. Yes, there was a but, good word of mouth, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Um
1: But it's really okay. So let me let me back up. What is Canvas? Uh, Canvas is a short comic about a an artist who wants desperately to um get someone to model for them for their painting. We're talking 20-30 pages? Um something like that. Yeah, yeah. no, short sure, short sure. it's not a big long, you know, graphic novel in right. the hundreds of pages. Um it's a very short endeavor. Um and so she's looking for a model for her painting and is struggling to do so because no one else wants to sit still for that long and so she resorts to vegetables to basically be her Um, her model, which of course doesn't work out too, too well. And, uh, basically having nearly given up, she makes a wish in a well, uh, gives up some
0: teeth to do so, um, which is a thing. I was going to say wells are typical teeth seems a bit extreme.
1: Yeah. Coins, coins seem more normal, but, um, you know, that's what she does. And then, of course, a fairy shows up and agrees to model for her. And I don't necessarily want to spoil the whole story because there's a bit of a catch. Mm. Uh, not everyone can see the fairy, and, and that kind of plays into this a little bit. But it was a very good story um, about sort of the the need for uh, you know having an audience for your art, but also kind of balancing that with your own artistic uh, growth and development and um, it's definitely a story that I think will appeal very much to creators Yeah, uh, in that way and it's kind of interesting it's like because... an audience
0: of artists who go to these conventions in the first place it's like targeted directly at them you could oh, say
1: oh yeah in, in a sense yeah and you know there is a case to be made for the fact that a lot of the uh the output that you see at some of these more indie shows can sometimes cater very specifically to the people attending the shows. right? Um, But, and I think this one is one that I think can do both. I think it can appeal to both those attending the show and to those, um, you know, who are exhibiting at the show to, to the more, you know, artistic crowd, if you will, uh, who would understand this at a you know, more deeper personal level. How about the um, art?
0: It seems like in more of a conventional mode than some of the other books we've it, talked it, about it, so far. It is
1: and it isn't. I think okay. um, it, it is both, you know, at times more conventional, but then also it, it does more, you know, dreamscape right uh, elements. And, and you, well, another point of, of mention is that all of the uh, quote unquote human characters, non-magical characters are all drawn, you know, in the, are they human? Kind of way, like they all have that mm. sort of, uh, pointy—not really, like kind of pointy, but like round nose. It's kind of like the um, uh, it's like a Disney thing almost. I want to say like, okay, you know, uh, where they're like, are they actually like animal people or are they human? Like, why do they have that kind of nose? It's, um, so that's definitely an artistic choice that kind of makes this otherworldly to begin with, even though it's,
0: um, you know, yeah, and it's sort of like not. I guess I'd say it's like sort of black and white, except I feel like they're sort of different shades. Yeah. Right? I,
1: I, it leverages a, a red.
0: Actually, there are colors color, in here. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of reds and blues. And no, I see what you're saying, they definitely do have these little kind of mouse like Disney noses. It's yep, interesting.
1: Yeah. So, and artistically, again, it kind of plays around with a lot of things. So it goes from more conventional to less conventional. The style changes.
0: And there's some sort of caricature kind of bits in here where they'll sort of emote in a very cartoony fashion, which is cool. There's a little bit of manga influence. Oh, I would
1: absolutely say so. Yeah, And the art does change between the non-magical world and the fairy world as well, where it kind of gets looser and the lines kind of go a little bit wilder. Um. So very well deserved win in 2020 for that Ignatz. Um. 100. You know. Two years late. We're giving our endorsement, or at least for mine. Sure.
0: Yeah. No. It definitely looks really interesting. I wish I. Well, maybe at some point I'll borrow your copy. And
1: I mean, if you want to read world. it after we're done recording, that won't take you
0: very well, long. Perhaps. Yeah, but no, this looks really cool. A short and sweet experience, and this is uh, which press to get? Lucky Pocket Press. Lucky
1: Pocket, which you know they are local to the Greater Baltimore, DC area, so they're they're based in Baltimore, Branded in
0: Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah, no, yep. a, l- a, lot cool. of,
1: uh, a lot of a lot of grads. Uh, working, yeah. you know, in collaboration with Lucky Pocket and, and helping to put this together so, um, you know, I know I know some of the folks, they are friends of the pod, if you will um, you know, so it, it's maybe a little bit biased, but this was the first I'd read Canvas and I, I don't know uh, Theo Stoltz, but I know some of the people who've put this together and they do good work.
0: Well, that's neat So
1: um, but on to you Adam, uh, what's something else that you picked up from the show that you wanted to talk about? Well,
0: you didn't want to talk about that book deeply horny that's sitting right next to
1: you oh that's die horny oh um, die I horny do i do want to th- talk about die horny but i'm saving it up because um well so i mentioned lucky pocket lucky pocket uh was on the stamp rally that piao oh, did interesting at both spx and tcaf um and you might wonder what is a stamp rally a stamp rally um You know, actually, I'm going to read their description. Um, Tour the festival to see cool things. Visit each table to get a stamp. Once you fill out the stamp passport, you can get a prize from some of the tables in the list below. We hope you have fun and buy comics from us too. So Piao, who is another publisher of Mm -hmm. comics, um, is currently going through their uh, last year sort of farewell tour. because Their last year, yeah. yeah. Um, and they were at TCAF. They were at SPX as well. Um, and I got, actually participated in their stamp rally at both. It was fantastic. Um, I got a ton of stamps, um, all kinds of other presses, including Lucky Pocket and uh, Bulgehan uh, Press as well, which uh, they're the ones who published Die Horny. Right. Uh, and, and that's definitely on the list as well. So there is a common through, Fred, here for uh, what we're talking about with Lucky Pocket, yeah. Piao,
0: and Bulgehan Press. So to I that think- end... Um, to some the stamp rallies I'm familiar with, I think back in the day in Japan, for instance, mm-hmm. you'd have stamp rallies on trains where people sort oh, of yeah. go from stop to stop along the metro in Tokyo and sort of get different stamps and you turn them in for a prize.
1: So I actually just closed the, my piece of paper of, of the stamp rally that I had from TCAF. And you know what it says on the back? Exactly that. Oh, fact, go figure. Have a, what is a stamp rally as per the Consulate General of Japan in Atlanta? Oh. It's a very specific, wild. you know, wild plant, I'm not sure. But uh, a stamp rally is a gimmick usually used to entice visitors at a conference or fair to visit every vendor. Upon entering, the visitor is given a sheet with blank spaces where the stamps will go. As they visit each vendor, their sheet is stamped. When the sheet is full, they turn it in for pri- for a prize or entry-, entry into a raffle. The rubber stamps... Uh, At these events are usually very simple designs, but can on occasion be quite elaborate. For example, at the Osaka Maritime Museum, the over 12 stamps form a large mosaic image. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's neat. they, They did, in fact... Uh, recreate this for SPX as well, man. So also the the sheets that they use for these stamp rallies are kind of themselves really cool. I'm saving mine because they're... Yeah, I do like all the different
0: designs for the stamps on the sheet. Each one sort of has its own little character yep. based on the particular publisher. Oh, right. and I
1: solved the mystery of Canvas because uh, the stamp on the sheet does not lie. Lucky Pocket was also at TCAF oh, this year. Oh, I see. And I was at TCAF in, in uh, June, so I picked up a copy of Canvas there. There you go. And I picked up another copy at SPX because clearly did not read my copy that I picked up a TCAF of. Yeah. So,
0: well, two copies is better than one, I suppose. I gifted my other copy to someone. So but anyway, You mentioned that you said, oh, what book do you have to re- What book do you have to talk about? i have one more book i think we can talk about since this episode may be getting a little long and this that is, book is a piao book this is a piao book so that's, that's the correct. connector so right we are there. now we have passed away from glacier bay books we are now solely in the piao zone um i well, should slash lucky pockets slash, slash, Pocket, slash other stuff they're all friends but they're different right um so i should say i don't i'm still fairly new to the world of indie comics there's plenty of stuff i haven't read Uh, This particular book I have, Stages of Rot, I understand is kind of a cult classic. I know folks on Twitter like uh, Manovsky article, I think, are huge fans of this book. Um, I would say my understanding is if you're like super into the world of kind of indie comics, there's a good chance you may have either heard of or read this book. However, if you are completely outside of that world, there's a chance that you may never have even seen it or know it existed. So I'd like to take this moment Uh, despite the fact that Piao is closing very soon, this is their last year of operation, I would suggest to you to run, not walk, and get a copy (laughs) of this book as soon as you can because it's really interesting. And also I should say, despite the fact the art is doing a lot of really cool bonkers stuff, is fairly accessible. I think, um, I mean, looking at a book like this, there's plenty of, well, I'm not an expert, there's plenty of references I can draw to other artists. Like, for instance, uh, there's a bit of Mobius in here, I think, and sort of some links to other European comics artists. It also reminds me a little bit of... Uh, it's not a complete match, but sort of Daisuke Igarashi's work and his love of nature. Igarashi has a comics collection called Witches out in, out in English, which just has really incredible art. It's these story, these really weird little fantasy stories of just amazing depictions of magic and skeletons and trees and jungle and all this incredible stuff. What Stages of Rot is, it's one of these books, like we've mentioned, it doesn't have a plot per se. A lot of it goes without words or is sort of told in the kind of oblique method, or even like there's a feeling also of categorization or a kind of nature watching as well. Like, it will take time to nail down specific species or beetles or things on the page and describe what they are. But effectively, in the grand scale, this is the story of a giant whale-like creature that crashes on a planet. And then what happens around the whale for the next many, many, many years. So the local aliens that live off of the whale, the mushrooms that grow on the whale the species that sort of evolve within the whale.
1: So you could say the various stages of rot. You could say so, yeah. (laughs) And
0: and sort of, it goes in seasons in a way, like you kind of see at each point as it sort of crumbles and becomes part of the landscape, you see as society adapts around it, as time changes. And also, as a matter of fact, even the color scheme of the book and the way that the creatures and people in this world are depicted changes chapter by chapter. So you see... This process of evolution across the course of this story compressed into a very short time frame.
1: And, Adam, did you mention who the artist? Yes. So, the
0: author of this book and the artist, I believe, it's a Linea Starte. I I may have mispronounced that. My apologies. This is an author who had, I think, another book that came out a little while ago. Is it The Frog in the Fall? Is that the Um, one? I was thinking it was the same author. If not, then that's fine. It is. Yeah. It's a frog, right. A frog in and the And I fall. think that's their more recent story. Also I, a
1: Piao published book. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, which is another book I bought, although I haven't actually read it yet. So I'm choosing not to talk about it here. Frankly, I feel he, yep, there's plenty to say about Stages I mean, of Rot already.
1: I, I, I will 100% say that these are both books that I did not pick up, either at TCAF or at SPX, that right. I'm myself now being like, oh gosh, when I, when I next get paid... I too shall run and order these online for sure so that I can get my copies because they look amazing.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, weirdly enough, going into this book, for some reason I had this idea it was a horror story because it is called stages of rot. And I had this imagining, Oh, it's going to be this freaky alien narrative, but it's really not that um, there is, you know, because it's about things decomposing over time. There's a lot of really freaky biological imagery that might make some people unsettled. But, you know, strictly speaking, even though I can't say I fully grasp everything this book is doing yet, I feel like there's so much concentrated and incredible imagery in this thing and just so much that's implied. It's interesting. There's this, I feel like there's ongoing discussion in the comics industry regarding compression and decompression, Mm -hmm. like how much to put inside a book, how to handle pacing, how to space things out. I would say something like stages of rot on one hand is constructed so that the events that occur feel as if they're very kind of granular. So you're seeing very little things progress step by step. Um, but it's
1: meticulously yes, crafted though, it regardless. Is.
0: Like, so there is like kind of that cinematic more manga film style influence where you're breaking things down to individual moments. But at the same time, there's also this feeling of immensity Like it's able to convey so much through suggestion. You have this idea of this vast span of time and all these individual things happening, like on such a large scale, it's almost impossible to hold it all in your head.
1: And and I'm curious if you would agree with this, because I I saw you flipping through it. I took a quick look at some of the pages and some of the line work and the approach to landscape in it uh, reminded me of Mobius.
0: For sure. That's why I brought up the Mobius um, European comics interests. Yeah. influencers there's a lot of that in there i think i don't think that's all of it i think there's like tons of things happening in here but i think if you're a fan of mobius's work or other people who crib from mm-hmm. it like lots of uh sort of flying machines and weird alien creatures sort of soaring through the landscape there's a lot of that plus a lot of really cool bio imagery and just like the way that the creatures and various beings and life in this space are designed and how you see them sort of warp and change and adapt over time is really fascinating. Like, it looks very alien and unsettling, but at the same time is feels like an exaggerated version of something that feels believable or rooted in this world or something that feels like it's part of some kind of larger life cycle. Like, it doesn't feel as if each being or creature in the story was designed independently. It feels as if it was all built to fit within an ecosystem, which is a kind of thing you'll only see in the work of someone who's done some thinking about how it all fits together. It's like the difference between um, a science fiction story where a bunch of aliens appear, where it's never really explained where they come from and something like uh, Paul McCauley the war of the maps, which is a novel I read a little while ago, which very explicitly not only has a bunch of freaky alien creatures in it but goes as far as to kind of build an ecosystem around them and suggest how they function from a biological perspective um so this book definitely has even though it is very careful as to what it tells you and what it does not tell you it feels like either the work has been done behind the screen or it like suggests stuff enough to you that you can sort of get a sense of it even if you don't grasp it entirely and it
1: feels um like a bespoke sense of attention to, to that. Yeah, is what for I would, sure. How I would describe that.
0: I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, all my understanding, making comics is an incredibly difficult job. They take a long time to put together. People so much put so much work and effort into making these, uh, even if it's something that looks very simple.
1: And then you flip through it in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean,
0: but something yeah. like Stages of Rot, you hold it in your hands, despite the fact it's like, I mean, it's not a tiny book. It's not 30 pages, but it's relatively light. Having read through it, it feels like you're holding a giant, like, iron bar in your hands in terms of how much it fits in here. Right. Like, it's kind of shocking just how dense it is in that way, despite being fairly accessible. Right. And, like, the fact you can sort of flip through it without necessarily um, being sort of put off by the story or the mm-hmm. style, I suppose. So...
1: Yeah. And I, and I do want to highlight really quickly, just, you know, cause we mentioned the Mobius influence. Yeah. Um, a frog in the fall, it, it looks very different for sure. Um, yeah. And, a frog in it, the
0: fall. I, in the, in the way that it kind of uses animals mm-hmm. and nature, I can definitely see a connection, but the way that those creatures are rendered are rendered in the style and the coloring is completely aside from what stages of rod is yeah. doing, which suggests as an artist who definitely has preoccupations, but also has a technical skill to render those preoccupations in completely different ways based on what kind of story they're telling or yeah, what experience yeah. they want to convey.
1: Um, so no, so really, uh, I mean, speaks to, is a testament to uh, Linnea Sturda's uh, ability here because it both books are very different; they evoke very different feels. I would say, and um, yeah, I mean, and as I someone need to give me copies, as
0: someone who loves science fiction and also someone who loves like big weird stories about like occult ecosystems that don't fully make sense where you have to do some of the work yourself but author, also the author plays like very sneaky games of you in terms of parceling out exactly how much you're supposed to know it at any given time this book is my catnip and I feel like it's probably other people's too so I definitely recommend before this publisher stops operating definitely seek out a copy of this book if you can and also probably a frog in the fall as well which is longer I think Oh, not only is it longer, it is in fact
1: the, <coughs> as I choke, it is <coughs> the longest Piao book that has ever been published oh, at geez. just over 330 pages. I was so excited to say that, that I, I choked That's over my own amazing. words. amazing. So it's like yeah. a
0: capstone kind of on their publishing career, I suppose.
1: hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's a monster,
0: um, and also Stages of Rod looks like was released in twenty seventeen. Right. So it's had a couple of years to percolate and kind of right. the indie comics conscious. And for for instance, there's a quote in here from the the, the comic I think the beat or the comics beat effortless, effortlessly stands of some of the best science fiction graphic novels of the decade yeah, the beat. says Philip says Philippe LeBlanc. Or um they also
1: have yeah. an Amazon review on there which I think is hilarious. That is very funny. But but as also and I and I I was tickled by this. It really speaks to the sense of humor of the guys at Piao. Mm-hmm. Um they they have a very unique sense of humor and it you can kind of uh, get a sense of that just you know from the way they've selected an Amazon review Now, granted. It's an Amazon review that speaks very well to yeah. to, the, to the to the book but you know quote-unquote, highbrow publishers might be like, oh, that's too pedestrian. So how many people run Piao?
0: Because we mentioned the guys a couple of times, but I I feel like I just noticed two people at the table. Are they, like, the main Piao people?
1: You know, I probably with, you know, uh, the Glacier Bay guys, I think, were also, you know, I think they're pretty, you know, major in the, you know, they're they're like the people operating the whole thing. Yeah, um, I would expect the same to be true of um, of Piao, and I don't know them personally. Um, I know some people who who've worked with Nobrow in the past and work with Nobrow presently. So I know in that case, you are interacting pretty much directly with, you know, that is their operation. Yeah. Also, shout
0: out to the Piao guy who's a keep your keep your hands off Isaac and fan. I see you out there. He was like, "Well, your your and T shirt. I really need to see yeah, that yeah, show. Yeah. I hope you did. It's a great series." But
1: also, they're big Sonic fans. I have a oh, great yeah. Sonic uh, tote that I'm pretty stoked
0: about. A Sonic tote bag. I hope that doesn't violate copyright law. Uh, well, they are going sorry, out of business, you're going to chat a bit about Piao, <laughs> I think. Or...
1: Um, yeah. So, well, well, pivoting from Piao to uh, to um, Han Press. Um, I grabbed a debut from them, Die Horny by Rebecca Mock. Um, It was really cool because I was a TCAF earlier this year and I got... Uh, I bought bought a bunch of their stuff and I got a nice, um, you know, sort of advertisement for Die Horny. And I was like, I can't wait for this to
0: come out. It looks great. Has Rebecca Mock done stuff before? I feel like their name is familiar. Oh, yeah.
1: Rebecca Mock has been like all over the place. I I will struggle to mention anything off the top of my head, um, but we can come back to that in a bit. But yeah, Yeah. Rebecca Mock has done a ton of stuff um, and is kind of a staple of not just, you know, comics but also these comic book shows right um so as i'm you know kind of buying for time here probably the the big debut uh not debut but the big like book that you can it's not a debut but the, the big new book uh that you can point to is salt magic that is coming out um actually in a okay few that days. actually
0: does sound familiar maybe i've seen it floating around on the internet yeah but...
1: written by hope larson uh and oh that is a big by deal like a mock yep Yeah, Uh, but that's not it. That's not the only thing that Rebecca Mock has done. That's just the latest. Um, And now I'm again, um, I I, I have a bunch uh, of her stuff. So it's um...
0: so I guess while we're adrift, what is die horny? Exactly.
1: Compass South, that's oh, the other oh, one. Oh, oh, uh, yeah, Compass I do South know and nice I do Edge, know Compass H- both South, both of also. which are on my bookshelf, and I've read Compass South. I've yet to read Knife Edge, and I need, and also written by Hope Larson. So yeah, does no, a lot It seems like a real collaboration there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I definitely like Rebecca Mock's stuff. Die Horny is um, the latest, um, in a sense. Well, until Salt Magic comes out. But this one is is a uh, Rebecca Mock production, whereas Salt Magic is a collaboration with Hope Larson. So let's talk a little bit about Die Horny. Um, the title is very tantalizing, but uh, the actual story is, well, also quite tantalizing and quite horny at points. So, but that is not its core intent. The core intent is, um, imagine if a, a Power Rangers villain decided to, let go of their hordes of evil and just run away with a henchman oh imagine that uh and they were very horny for each other probably um so imagine that and then they go off and they do their own thing but then perhaps they they get dragged into some more heroic work and they end up having to fight their own
0: forces and it kind of goes so this is like what if Rita Repulsa ended up running exactly away that, with I, I don't yes. know any other power rangers villains unfortunately no i mean it would have
1: been just a nameless you know uh henchman so some some yeah. no-name person yeah that's exactly
0: i it, think if you ask me about shink i'd have an easier time or time ranger maybe sorry that's those are my uh super sentai power levels there
1: um. I no matter, but yeah, it, it, it's really, it's really cool. It's very irreverent. Yeah. It's, it's drawn in a very sort of, uh, it's a looser style. Uh, I was going to say very... the
0: impression I got of something like Compass South, it's more yes. sort of pared back. Or I guess even the subject, something like Compass South is more of like a young adult graphic novel, right? It
1: is, and it's very much of a period piece. Right. So in that sense, it's very carefully drawn to evoke that era and and with specificity in the sense that Die Horny is much more fun and loose Yeah, and this looks exciting. much
0: more sort of... I mean, not even like cartoony, but just it's more of like an indie comics kind of style where yeah, the characters yeah, aren't absolutely. drawn necessarily to appeal to a broader market. It's yes. more of a personal kind of thing. It's
1: also drawn in a limited color palette, so it's it's yeah. very much the also type it's of thing like, that. It's kind of yeah.
0: a bonkers kind of story idea, so of course you'd want to draw it in a way that illustrates yes. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: it um, it's very chaotic in some ways, but everything is also done with purpose, so it's not chaotic in a sort of. Um, irresponsible way but you know i don't know can you be chaotic in a responsible way but that's how chaotic I chaotic responsible it. <laughs> sounds
0: like a dnd alignment chart from
1: hell or oh something. my god yeah uh that's that's a conversation for another day for
0: sure um
1: weirdly enough the the only other thing besides die horny that i wanted to mention um vibes fairly well in the sense of it's also kind of you know um space and nights and and things of that nature and kind of mech sort of sentiment associated with it and that is Cosmo Knights by Hannah Templer. Uh, yeah.
0: we've looped all the way back to Top Shelf folks. We started yep. this we started this <laughs> podcast with a brief discussion of Top Shelf and we're back at Top Shelf. We're right back where we started. It's true. It's like we planned this. We really didn't, but it worked out. Yeah, it worked out. <laughs> uh
1: but yeah, Cosmo Knights and also speaking of looping back because Cosmo Knights started as a webcomic. It did. So, echoing a little bit of Lavender our Jack
0: baby. <laughs> Yep. So we're we're, we're right back, back home in Problematic Town. No, oh, no, wow. so. well,
1: uh, you know, interestingly enough, actually, it, Cosmo Knights did make me think of Lavender Jack. So I'm glad mm. you mentioned that because. So here's the core idea behind cosmonites. Knights. Um, you know how like back in ye olde day, um, well, maybe more of an idealized sense of ye old day, uh, knights would fight for the hands of fair maidens and princesses and all that jazz. Well, it's that basic idea, but what if it's in space and you know, there's a lot of like pew pew and technology and uh, you know, cool mech knights and yeah. shit like that. That's cosmonites Knights in a, in a nutshell, but it, its intent isn't to glorify, you know, the the sort of patriarchal notion of uh, a man fighting for the hand of a lady uh, in, or a knight um, specifically, but rather to demolish that idea and to work in, a, in an environment that, even though it is set in the future, is very much patriarchal and capitalist in nature yeah. and the heroes are part of a resistance to essentially dismantle it.
0: This isn't what I'm going to say isn't meant as criticism in any way. But as someone who's seen the cover several times in my workplace and I sort of looked at some of the pages in it, it definitely feels like very much a young adult book, like sort of in contention oh, with would, that would, space. Yeah. Aesthetically, like, yes. There's um, it's a story. Is it like a story rebellion kind of? Well,
1: so I will say this not much of a spoiler because it's kind of a, the background of one of the characters. Right. But one of the main characters is was herself a princess right. who decided to enter the competition for her own favor for her own hand as as it were and one against all of the other men fighting yeah. for her and beat them all up and then won her own hand caused a ruckus in the process and then became a rebel
0: so there's this idea of sort of challenging authority kind of yeah. re-examining yeah. your place in the world and deciding where you want to go yeah I, would, I, yeah I would say
1: probably young adult audiences would vibe with this oh, I, sure. I love the crap out of it but then again I like everything so
0: yeah <laughs> there's like an attention I mean I don't know much about this stuff but I understand it's kind of like an attention to sort of fashion and like what the characters are wearing as well how they present themselves yes I think the, the, the artist of this Uh, hannah templar sort of posted pictures of the characters on twitter sort of uh presenting themselves at different times like there's definitely thought put into that and sort of how the world is designed as well there's sort of like an anime influence sort of like there's definitely a lot of webcomic vibes in this story it reminds me of like a lot of stuff in a similar vein but in not in like a repetitive way but in oh cool like this is someone who's read a lot of neat stuff and they're kind of riffing on a lot of their favorite things while also sort of pulling in their own interests as well
1: 100 percent. yeah uh, and the biggest i think compliment i can give this is that even though it started out as a web comic right and this is a tricky thing that maybe not everyone thinks about colors look different on a computer screen than they do in print definitely and the way that this book printed and this is a testament perhaps also to top shelf because they obviously published the book um, but the way that this printed the colors are incredibly vibrant and it is a you know, really a huge compliment because um, Hannah does a lot of work. Hannah Templer does a lot of work with color and the color in this looks amazing. Um, and for it to render as well as it has in print uh, is probably one of, I mean, there's a lot of things going for this comic, but the colors look freaking amazing. Yeah,
0: I should also add it's, besides colors, even just something as simple as, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Alex is showing me a super vibrant sort of uh intergalactic space scape of like a very pink orangey uh, but it's planets, like jade moons. green blue i mean there's yeah, so many there's a lot of stuff going yeah. on big clouds and things um purple yeah yeah there's a uh, even just something as simple as when you read a page on the internet the way it looks the way it's structured clicking through on your screen or scrolling on your screen and the way it reads in the book are often completely different. Um, Heck, be- between different screens, it might is, be different. So. Yeah, which is something that, to, based on what I've heard, has really thwarted even a lot of webtoons people really like. Like I had some mm-hmm. friends who read through the collections of Lore Olympus yep. and really thought that the transition from the screen to the page really hurt. Uh, what the artist was doing with the story.
1: Well, I mean, and I meant in the sense of, like, different computer screens might have different uh, brightness settings, different vibrancy settings, and the the one thing, and this is actually an interesting thought in in reference to our webcomic conversation. The one thing about print is for the most part yeah there's some variation in how things may print there are print errors um but for the most part you can have much better control over what the end product looks like yeah it's it's not like every single webcomic can do that thing that like dark souls games does where at the beginning you have to set your your brightness settings up or down to make sure that they match relative to your screen and even that is an imperfect approach um to to essentially standardizing what your brightness experience, and that's only brightness that does not yeah. doesn't account for color vibrancy. So, um, print has this sort of unique benefit over digital in that sense. And what better way to bring our conversation full circle on something like Small Press Expo than to maybe you know really highlight one of the greatest benefits of print, which is that you have better control over your product.
0: Yeah, the the artist does have an interesting story as well. So they were at the a top shelf panel, right? And they were actually the youngest person there, I believe. Or Yes, are yeah. one of the younger yeah. people. Oh, no, definitely the youngest. Yeah, like say. there are other a bunch of other people there. Many of them were kind of the top shelf old timers, or you know, folks who are still, I think, fairly relevant to today's comic scene. Like a Nate Powell, I believe, mm-hmm. like has had a bunch of strips go viral recently. But Templar was definitely, but even
1: Nate Powell, I would say, has been around for a while. Oh so yeah, for sure. You know,
0: uh, Templar was someone who you know was not brought in. I think by like the original co-founder of Top Shelf, but by like the new editor who was looking around. So in some, to some degree, this idea that again, kind of the generational gap, you have these new comics artists who are uh, drawing stuff on the internet and kind of being looped in that way. So it's, it's my understanding is Templar at some point um, when she was drawing comics, she just made the call one day that, okay, um, I'm going to do this seriously. I'm going to make a career out of this. And so started putting this story out and got this deal and eventually managed to work it out. So it's neat. You know, there are definitely people out there. I mean, people draw comics for all ty- kinds of reasons. There's no reason why like people should feel like they have to go professional, I guess, in order to do work that's really interesting. In fact, probably a lot of the, a lot of really interesting work is done by people who might only do it as a hobby. Like they'll put out, 15 or 28 pages every year that blow everyone's minds because they'll just find a bit of spare time to put it together yeah but it is neat when you have people who are able to make that sort of jump where they say i want to do this i mean even if it's you know this is a more sort of conventional accessible story than some of the comics we've talked about like if you're like uh you know like a shonen jump reader mm-hmm someone who loves Chainsaw Man, like this is a oh, lot yeah, later than that, with this, but yeah. definitely like it's more like an adventure story with uh, relationships and like teens undergoing crises and that kind of thing, I think. Are they more adults, do you think? Well, no, the, the,
1: uh, so the main, the two actual Cosmonites in this are both adults. The, right. uh, the protagonist is definitely a teenager, but right. maybe like on the older edge of being a teenager, but definitely- But this is like a side. story
0: about younger people people figuring out what they're doing in the world rather than hundred percent older people who are sort of locked in i guess a hundred percent although it has that kind of burning intensity to it you could say
1: although the resistance they join is definitely one of adults against the system but um it is definitely you know position as sort of young adult in the sense of the protagonist has to be younger so that you know kids will will understand them and relate to them
0: yeah. And but I know it, it seems really cool for sure. Yeah.
1: And, and to that end, I would say it's also kind of nice to see Top Shelf um, publish some things that are more in this vein. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Top Shelf does a lot of very socially minded, very uh, more
0: traditionally indie comics. We mentioned March. Right. Absolutely. And uh, they called us Enemy. But I think uh, Jeffrey Brown was there as yes, well. Yes, yes, and I picked oh, up many people who were there yeah. referenced as a huge inspiration on um, them. But it's interesting to see like stuff
1: like Cosmonites, uh, Cosmonites, uh, stuff like Donuts and Doom, which I also picked up. Yeah, uh, which are all Doom. more vibrant and colorful, and you know, just you know, the creators are also themselves part of a newer generation. So it's interesting to see Top Shelf embrace
0: some newer creators, uh, which yeah. I think is really cool. I, mean, I guess to some degree, these different publishing houses. Even if they have the resources to keep going, and they have to keep evolving in order to survive and stay relevant. Yeah, and there are some who I guess never make that transition and are content to sort of coast on the glories of the past. So it's neat yeah. that Top Shelf continues to expand and try new things.
1: And and also, I mean, how cool is it to you know for one publisher to have both Jeffrey Brown and Hannah Templer in yeah. the same on the same panel, let alone on the same table in the same you know collection and treat of books. them
0: you know sort of say, wow, both are doing really good work. You know, yeah, yeah no, so. for sure. Uh, but
1: yeah, but, and, and th- that in a nutshell is also SPX because you have so many people from very different la- layers of comics all in one place and all, for the most part, appreciating and loving the same things.
0: That's a great wrap up. But I do want to ask, since yes. you seem like kind of the Piao expert here, before they close up shop. Oh dear. Besides Stages of Rot, if you were to pick like two or three other books, you would want to snap up by them before they close? are there like particular books you have in mind? I know I've seen several books by the publisher on your shelf that you seem to like. Some of them are like more mainstream. Others are like kind of more specific little kind of independent memoir style collections by cartoonists full of their own personal neuroses. Are there any that kind of stand out to you Mm -hmm. as like particular comics that make you think of the publisher?
1: Yes. Uh, the, (laughs) the one that, so I'm going to highlight one thing in particular, and that is, um, Piao by Piao. Oh. Okay. Uh, or P-E-O-W Painfully Embarrassing Otaku Weekend by Jane Mai, which has two issues, one and two, um, and is this collection of you know uh you know short comics by Jane Mai, um which um is very irreverent in a sense. And I actually have yet to read so uh I am kind of poorly describing this, but the reason this stands out for me, uh, even though I have yet to read these and I will eventually get around to it, um, is that when I got this, um, when I bought Piao number two specifically at TCAF earlier this year, uh, Jane Mai was not at the table. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, it's okay. I'll come back later and get this signed by Jane Mai. Uh, And when I did come back and I was like, oh, hey, you weren't here earlier when I... uh, when I when I got this, uh, could you sign it for me, please? Uh, she was like, "Oh, sure, no problem." And she she was like, "Is it okay if I take a second to to you know, draw something in it?" And I said, "Of course, why not?" So she goes and you know signs it and draws something in it. And what she basically draws and 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 <laughs> signs is a picture of her on a toilet and says, "Sorry, I was pooping. That's why I wasn't <laughs> here earlier." And it's the funniest shit. Um, so JMI is great. That's that's all. <laughs>
0: um yeah I think Alex has suggested this as the focus of a future episode perhaps um so we'll have to see if we get to these two books at some point in the future oh um, I'm sure once I'll get around
1: to reading them I'm kind of um going through everything that I've bought at SPX and TCAF in June this is how delayed I am yeah, but you I mean, know what
0: my, my impression looking through a little bit of these two books are like little idiosyncratic comic shit posting volumes Uh, Sorry to swear a little bit, but just like full of weird little jokes.
1: I mean, the description of of the first volume is, In Piao, Painfully Embarrassing Otaku Weekend, Jane Mai returns to expose all the terrible, embarrassing secrets about Piao and what it's really like to actually go to comic festivals with them. This is a book that Piao doesn't want you to see, but they don't really have a choice because it's Jane Mai featuring an indie star-studded guest cast of comic artists. This book has it all, including... Pond smelt too. I have no idea what that what pond smelt too is, but that sounds exciting.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like inside baseball. But what I've seen of this on the inside is very funny. So I certainly recommend if you're able to find a copy to seek it out and take a look at it, since it might not be around for much longer. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, they are both both volumes one and two still available online. Yeah, which is also why I recommend them because I do have other things on my shelf that I'm excited to eventually get around to read from Piao because I picked up a bunch of their stuff at PCAF and SPX, uh, for this, you know, the whole going out of business or not going out of business, but you know, stopping their production
0: strategically shutting up shop.
1: That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'll eventually get around to it, but, um they you can't find them online anymore so Mm. unless you maybe tracked them down at a show and even then their stock might be out i would just be lying to you but this i checked you can still find online
0: yeah these probably aren't the kind of books you're gonna find on like illegal comic scanlation sites either right
1: yeah i don't know i you know it does make you wonder when this happens when a publisher like this closes shop um but also when a publisher like this is so uniquely good at printing to a certain texture and feel on yeah. paper. Does it even make sense for them to put it's their stuff true. online for future generations? You know, the, the the print way is I think the only way to experience a lot of Piao's material.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think definitely deep cuts like this. Um, I mean, I, I think to some degree it is kind of a facile argument to say, Oh, if only a larger audience could be exposed to it. Cause also it's like, you know, they put these books out. They don't need a larger audience. They're making something because they enjoy it. And if you want to read it, that's great. But on the other hand, I think there probably are a bunch of people out there who might not know about these, who if they took a look at it would actually think it's really interesting. Um, so I think it's definitely worth keeping an eye out. And if you're interested, maybe try to get your hands on some of these and take a look at them. Because, yep. And I can say for sure, Stages of Rod is really cool. I think uh, P.E.O.W. Volumes 1 and 2 also looks really cool. So plenty of great stuff out there. Um, Of course, it's the natural life cycles of these kinds of things that it takes people to run an organization and plenty of money and time. And in the world we're living in right now, of course, that's much more challenging than it used to be. And also people have all kinds of reasons why they want to try moving on to a new thing. Even something like uh, Koyama Press, right? Oh, yeah. For ages it used to be this institution in the comic scene. And after some time, the person running it sort of decided, I still want to help people out, but in a different kind of way. And so it changed and is still... Very useful to people, but it's a different kind of organization now and that's just sort of how things go.
1: Man, that was before the pandemic. It feels so yeah, long no, ago for sure. Yeah. Um but anyway, I think with that we've we're getting close to two hours of I talking think we've about run this through... stuff. Most of what we
0: wanted to talk about, right? I think we've reached a natural stopping point, just like Piao. You're right. This is the final episode of Double A. Nothing more after this. This is our finale. We've yet to do
1: Daggerfall, Adam. What are you talking about? We haven't Um, yet
0: talked about uh, the Elder Souls games yet. Yes.
1: Uh, Well, and we still have that Elder... Oh, God, I almost did it. Elden Ring uh, DLC that should come out sometime in our near lives. Elder Ring. Ugh. Oh, boy. But And also, I'm starting to play uh, Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. Oh, so yeah. I want to talk more about that sometime.
0: But Right. So, but, yeah, I, I think we're done for now. This feels like a good place to stop. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about next time. We have some ideas, but I'm sure uh, you'll find out in the future, as um, our, the great movie Plan 9, Outer Space <laughs> uh, once had a character say. That's not Indeed. an exact quote, actually. Don't quote me on that.
1: Yeah, We'll be back in maybe two, three weeks after this goes live, uh, probably talking about video games. I'd like to get back to video games. Until we'll then, see. we're
0: just going to be sitting in corners, reading our comics, biding our games. time.
1: Yeah, doing stuff. Yeah. So thank you for joining us on this nearly two-hour-long adventure, and take care, everyone.
0: Yeah.